Hey guys, this is Jungle Jim Steele, and you are watching the Insider's Edge podcast. The following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. So great to be with you all once again. And I am chuffed. I am ecstatic here tonight. I get the opportunity to interview former All Japan, All Asia Tag Team Champion, co-winner of the Stan Hansen Cup, and of course, former World Wrestling Council Television and Puerto Rican heavyweight champion. He is the one, the only jungle, Jim Steele. How are you, my friend? Good. How are you doing? Nice to uh nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No problem, sir. And and the first question, Jim, on uh every episode is when you were a young man, how did you become a wrestling fan before you got in the business? Uh, so that's uh that's actually kind of funny and bizarre because I was never a wrestling fan, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at most, I know most wrestlers, you know, they were fans growing up. Um, and I, I just never was. Uh, I got into it uh, by some friends of mine. And I, I'm, I'm here in uh, Tampa, Florida. And uh, I'm from Chicago, but I grew up down here since I was five. I have some friends of mine. I was bouncing at the time at a strip club, uh, 2001 Odyssey. And I had some friends of mine that, that were into it. And they uh, would ask me, hey, you should come down with us and, and try this out, wrestling. And because I was working out a lot at the time. And uh, it, took, it took some convincing, uh, I guess, before I finally did. I would just blow it off and like, yeah, I don't know. One of these days I'll come down and try it out with you. Uh, but they kept asking and, and uh, I went down with there and, and tried it out. And I guess uh, I liked it. Um, but I had, I had a big disadvantage because most wrestlers, people getting into it knew a little bit about wrestling. I did not. So at that point, I started watching a lot of wrestling and um, trying to learn holds, psychology of it. Uh, but yeah, so I was never a big fan growing up. Uh, fair enough. The, the last few guests actually uh, said themselves they weren't fans growing up as well. They just somehow found their way in the biz in this crazy business. Right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I believe in my research, you train with Steve Kern and Rob Slinker. Um, yes. Could you tell me a little bit about your experience, you know, coming in, not being a wrestling fan, but coming in and learning from these two and the, just the experience with them? Uh, it was it was a good experience. They they had a uh, like a warehouse down by the uh, I don't know boat docks, uh, South Tampa. I'm trying to remember the actual area, but it was just like a way off hidden area, and uh, they just had this ring in there, 
and uh, we would, you know, the first thing would, would be to learn to take bumps, which was very um, unorthodox or unintuitive because you don't want to just let yourself fall back. It just see, so that was a that was a big hurdle trying to get over that. Um, and and again, I just had a disadvantage because I wasn't aware of the holds, and so I was like learning on the go, which most kids that were fans were probably having wrestling matches in their living room, jumping off the couch and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, that was that, it. Was a good it was a good learning experience for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that is funny that you bring that up because, you know, when you're, you're a fan growing up and you're mucking around with your siblings in your, your lounge room or whatever, you, you try to do all the little holds and stuff. Obviously, you don't get the laws of how they work properly, but you, you, you kind of understand it in a, in a way. So that's an interesting perspective to come at it through. Um, so uh, after this training, I believe you, you start working in Florida in the ICWA in October of 91 and also the USWA in early 1992. I thought that was interesting uh, in my research, seeing that you work with the likes of Coco Beware and the legendary Dr. Tom Pritchard, um, please tell me about your early days in the business and, and what lessons you may have learned during that time. So um, what was the place, what was the, the name that you mentioned here in Florida, ICWA, was that it? That's correct, yeah. Okay, so and I, and I'm assuming that was probably at the Sportatorium in in uh, Tampa. I don't remember what street it was off, but I mean, that's where, that's where I had like the... Uh, my first matches and beginning matches. Yeah. And again, so, so I only, I think, I think I was watching a lot of, um, uh, there was an organization in, um, in Texas that was, uh, uh, maybe Dallas, Texas. I can't. Uh, well, you? World class championship wrestling. Global. Is that what you said? Uh, I said world class, but do you mean global? Oh, I think it might've been global at the time. I don't know. Okay. Um, and I, so I remember watching that and of course, WWF, I think it was still called WWF at the time. And, uh, so my first match at the sportatorium was very different from what I was viewing on TV. I was, you know, I guess in my mind, I was expecting something, uh, larger and, more extravagant and here you are at the sportatorium which is a famous which was a famous uh building a lot of superstars hulk kogan and a lot of rick flair they all went through there i guess um but so my impression was you know i don't, I don't even know how maybe maybe 150 people would have been packed maybe and it was small and um, I was just like, damn, this is professional wrestling. What the hell did I get myself into? Yeah. Um, and then you said, uh, USWA, I believe, right? Memphis, Correct. Tennessee. Yes. So, um, that was my first, uh, bigger organization and it was still a small organization, I guess at the time. Um, but I guess back in the day, it was one of the biggest, uh, you know, individual territories, but so that was my uh, first uh, experience in a in a larger venue uh, with like 
ring music with actual a little bit of a distance to get to the ring. Yeah. And uh, cause I remember, uh, I remember being in the ring and I think my first match there was actually Dr. Tom Pritchard. He came out to, uh, I don't know, wanted dead or alive. Right. And I'm in the, and he was a fan favorite. I'm just a nobody starting out over there. And I remember when his music came on, um, and everybody stood up and was like, yeah, I was getting a little bit of goosebumps going, damn, this is pretty cool, man. So it went from the Sportatorium, which maybe held, you know, I don't know, 100, 150 people packed to the Memphis Coliseum, which it wasn't actually that packed that night. I think it was a Monday night, but it was just the large arena and um, just more, more fans and, so that was that, that was like my jump to the wow, this is, could be kind of cool kind of experience. So yeah, that was uh, two different early experiences. Very cool, very cool. And uh, as you're explaining, I could just visualize what it what it would have felt like and looked like in my head. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. And I know that in 1993, you do some training at the WCW Power Plant. Uh, can you tell me about? How this came about, did you see an opportunity? Some people see an advert on television sometimes and call the number. Uh, tell me about that experience that I know in the early 90s, the power plant was a little different to the pristine power plant that they would have in the uh, late 90s. Yeah, uh, actually, I think my I think my first time up there was 92. And uh, it was I was with WCW from 92 to 94. And um, I had gone up there um, as a jobber, I guess, right? I don't, I don't know if they still do that. Um, but back in the day, they did their TV tapings um, at center stage in Atlanta. And uh, the stars would have their, uh, just basically their squash matches. And I went up there uh, for that, I had some friends that were going up there and say, like, yeah, come on, we'll take a road trip, make a couple hundred dollars, however much it was. And uh, so I went up there and I remember I was like one of the bigger guys up there, the bigger jobber guys. And um, they uh, they actually stuck me with, and this was uh, when Van Vader was there. Yeah. And Van Vader was usually getting like two, two squash guys at a time. Yeah. And uh, so they just, they gave me, or they put me with uh, Van Vader. And uh, so that was my first experience up there. And I can remember thinking, because Leon, he was, he was a nice guy, right? He talking, talking to me in the back. Hey, brother, we're going to do this. Okay, this, that. I'm like, okay, okay. When I get out there, he's a different fucking guy. <laughs> and then, I'm like thinking to myself, what the fuck is this? Hey, dude, we were just talking in the back just a few minutes ago, man. Take it easy. And uh, and I remember he dropped me right in my fucking neck, too. Oh, shit. Uh, just planted me, which I guess got a big pop out of the back because, you know, if you get a pop from the boys in the back, it must have looked pretty good or brutal out there. Um, you know, luckily, I had a pretty big neck and, it, it, you know, I was okay. But the way that, and I'd like to see that actual uh, footage, but I, I I can't find it anywhere. 
but uh, I would like to see that and see what it looked like. But so after that, I think Dusty called me in the back. I think he might've been booking up there at the time or something. And I don't know, he just liked the way I looked. So he uh, called me in the back and started talking to me and asked me what I was doing right now. Uh, and I'm like, nothing really. I'm just bouncing at this club in, in Tampa. So he uh, said, all right, well, I'll get in touch with you. And I don't know, however much time later, he called me, he brought me up and uh, I started at the, uh, the power plant. Awesome. Awesome. And I'll, I'll tell you this, Jim. Uh, so that match was on July 27th, 1992. Oh, no. July I, what? July 27th. The uh, match I'm talking about with Van Vader? Yeah. Uh, and I'll write this down. So like, July 27th. What was it? <laughs> 1992. Um, 92, but okay. I'll tell you what, I, I have access to pretty much every episode of WCW Saturday Night that has ever been recorded. I can upload that match for you. I will find it and I'll upload oh, it. Oh, shit. Yeah, I, I, I never saw that. I'd like to see that. That'd be cool. Excellent. I'm probably, probably going to make me cringe, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm just leaving a note for myself there to upload that right. match. Uh, so he can check it out for the first time in uh, a long time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, the next question, um, you know, <clears throat> The power plant, uh, you go down there to the power plant. What's that experience like? I mean, uh, I, I know they were pretty, I don't know if uh, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker was there at that point, but uh, I know he was, he was uh, he's a tough man. <laughs> fucking hell, man. They would, they would make us do fucking Hindu squats until we puked. And I never puked, but I hung right with them. But I remember that after one of my first days there i and i worked out hard i always worked out pretty hard in the gym dude i never i never got my glutes hams quads as sore as i did than doing like a i don't even know a thousand hindu squats and he would call them bucket squats because we all had a big bucket I don't know. I guess you could imagine like a, a five gallon industrial size bucket that they deliver. I don't know, pickles or whatever in for restaurants. We'd have one of those buckets, maybe a little bit lower and we'd have to squat and hit our butt on the bucket each time. And my ass, my ass and glutes and quads and everything were so sore. It literally took me probably five minutes just when I was at home later the next day. You always get sore on quads like two days later. It literally took me about five minutes just to sit down on the toilet because my quads were so blown up and, and <laughs> sore. I was like, what the hell happened? So, yeah, he was always just just driving you into the ground, trying to, I don't know, trying to run guys off or whatever, probably. But <laughs> that's, that's my first vivid memory of that place <laughs> i love it i love it. every anytime i know somebody was there i have to get their store side of the story and it generally it's the same uh, for everybody you know even ex-marines and ex you know pro football players etc they would tap out within the first few hours so it doesn't matter yeah it's just a different uh different type of 
muscle fatigue and uh, attacking you. You know, you can train at whatever else and then go try something else, whether it's swimming or badminton or tennis, and you're going to be blown up because you're working different muscles and different groups and you're not familiar with it. Incredible, incredible. Uh, So I wanted to ask you this. I couldn't find uh, the answer in my research. So who came up with the Jungle Jim Steel character or the, you know, the presentation? Uh, hmm. I'm trying to, I, I don't know if it was like a group effort. Um, it might've been, it might've been Dusty. I think that probably came up with that. Yeah. Right. And, and I thought they, actually, they actually, um, tried to have me at center stage, um, they tried to have me swing in to the ring from a from a rope and you know like wrapped vines or you know vines around it yeah but it, it couldn't be done because from you know they wanted me to do it from I don't know somewhere in in the stands right grab onto the rope and swing in to the ring, which would have been a very cool entrance, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but the only problem is, you know, if you were up in the stands a little bit and you got this rope that's, I don't know where they attached it from in the ceiling, somewhere above or near the ring. Um, and the ring is whatever, uh, however many feet off the, the ground, right? You got the ring and then the ropes. Yeah. So, and if you're up into the stands holding this rope and you try to swing down, you're not going to be able to clear that. You're not going to be able to clear it and get into the ring or even anywhere on the ring. I mean, it just, by the time the pendulum swung and brought you know, where you would be holding on to the rope next to the ring, you'd be, you would have smashed right into the, uh, into the the actual ring itself, somewhere down below. So it, it couldn't be done. We tried to, we tried to figure it out multiple ways. Um, it, just, it just wouldn't work. <laughs> That's incredible. That is actually an incredible idea, but you know, uh, sometimes logistics of things won't work out, but, um, you know, I mean, if anyone can portray a Tarzan esque character, you are certainly somebody that looked the part, the hair, the body chiseled out of stone. Uh, so, you know, this certainly stands out. Uh, and <clears throat> I wanted to bring up your first victory in WCW, the 21st of September, 1993. You take on the gambler at the Crystal Chandelier in Kennesaw, Georgia. Uh, oh, you're, you're, I don't even know where you found all that information at. Damn, yeah, yeah, you're right about that. Okay, yep. <laughs> I do my research, bro. Uh, so, I mean, I watched a couple oh, of matches. Bar too. <laughs> I watched a couple of matches that you've worked with with the gambler, who's obviously oh, yeah. somebody who, uh, an unsung hero in the wrestling business, makes everyone he works with look good. How did you find working with him? And, you know, you must be excited. This new character you're on, you know, you're working in WCW now, one of the big companies as Jungle Jim Steel. 
Uh, yeah, Gambler was cool, man. I don't. Do you still? Do you have a way? Or have, have you interviewed him by chance? Or I have no. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't heard his name in forever. But uh, yeah, he was a good guy. He was very experienced. So and I was totally green. Um, yeah, he could make. He was great. He could make anybody look great. Um, I don't recall the match in specifically, but I remember Gambler for sure. And uh, we, you know, at the power plant or anywhere, it was just easy following a match that he uh, would put together. Um, and, and my problem actually with WCW probably was just being too green at the time that they gave me that push. Like, had I gotten that push with them, um, I don't know, years later, because I was in WCW from 92 to 94, and then I left and went to Japan, and uh, I probably, you know, I was never really good on the mic, but I got better when I was in Puerto Rico because we did it a lot, um, yeah. and then my psychology came together. So had I got that push in WCW, maybe in like 96 or something after I had been wrestling and working for a little while, who knows what would have happened, but I was just the drizzling shits. I was horrible. I couldn't even, I remember doing a, uh, an interview or, or like a, a, a live ringside interview at center stage um, and it might've been that same night that I was trying to swing in on the, on the rope. And I remember, I think, uh, Ted, Ted Turner and Jane Fonda might've been in, in, in the arena ringside. Also, I was so freaking nervous. I couldn't, I had, you know, something I was supposed to say. Uh, I was just like stutter and I couldn't get it out. I was, it was just, it was horrible. So yeah, I just, I totally flopped that and again you know hindsight's 2020 but if i had that opportunity in 96 who knows what would happen it would have been a lot better but it came when it did i wasn't ready and absolutely you know and i'm ready to dig even more deeper into all of this and as far as the gambler's concerned i have somehow been able to make contact with his son uh via twitter i just i i, I just got to keep chipping away at him to convince his dad to to come on the show because uh he's one oh. of those mysteries of the business nobody knows what's going on with him uh, for the last 20 odd years so um i'll do my best <laughs> so you got does his son um wrestle no no but his son does reason. some sorry what's that no, I said you were just reaching out, trying to yeah. get a hold of him, and somehow you were able to get a hold of his son, but could not get a. Eh, okay, <laughs> I'll keep chipping away. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the next question I wanted to ask you: uh, When you're in WCW early on, who do you become tight with backstage? Who are like some people that you say you became friends with uh, during those days? Oh shit. Um... I don't know, maybe, maybe it's the guys that you know are at the power plant or maybe, I don't know. I don't know if I ever became tight with any of them, uh, but you know, I knew a lot of them from being in Florida um, and coming from Florida. Um, and there was a lot of guys 
that were up there from Fort Dennis Knight. Um, I can't remember what his wrestling gimmick was. Uh, Tex Lessinger. Yes, that, that's it. Uh, I mean, and the building where I lived at, I think it was called La Park at the time. It was an apartment complex that was right next to or very near to Sting's gym. I can't, main event, I think was the name of the event. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I was ever super tight with any of the, any of them, but I, they were all living right there. I knew, knew them more like acquaintance, I guess. Fair uh, maybe, maybe that was my problem. I wasn't much into the uh, back room politics, maybe. I don't know. Fair enough. Uh, and uh, speaking of, uh, you know, continuing being on the road at uh, live events in your early time in WCW, the 28th of September and the 5th of October against Big Bad John, who many out there may know as Max Muscle. How was Max to work with? Another big guy to work with. Uh, you know, I, his name hasn't been brought up on the show before, so I thought I'd bring him up. Oh, man, he was just like me. He was green and stiff. Is working against him was like working against me in a match. And I mean, he <laughs> couldn't move the guy around. He was big and stiff. I mean, I was, I'm sure I was the exact same way. I know I was um, until probably much, much later. But uh, yeah, he's a good guy. We actually uh, uh, roomated. We were roommates together in the in the early days uh, of the power plant days. And back then, the power plant was in jonesboro i think so we had to drive all the way we, we lived up in marietta we had to drive through atlanta rush hour both ways going and coming so but yeah so i mean i knew him pretty good we uh yeah i mean yep, no worries. I, I, think he, I actually heard he died he did, um, yeah. Not too long ago, maybe, I don't know, not too long, four or five years, six years, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So may he rest in peace. Uh, and um, the the next piece I want to get through here is, uh, again, just showing off how good my research is. Uh, <laughs> October 12th against Michael Hayes, the 19th teaming with Thunder against Shanghai Pierce and Tex Lazinger, as well as Terry Taylor in a singles match before you finally get back on TV, which is lost to Diamond Dallas Page on the 7th of December. How did you, I mean, you've, you've already alluded to it before about you were feeling, you know, you were green at the time, but how were you feeling at the time as well you must have been excited you're you're you're, you're getting some wins you're, you're getting a bit of a bit of tv time as well and and those other matches you talked about they must have been all at the chandelier right yeah i think they were all a bunch of um uh live events in uh sorry what's the name of the town it's uh kennesaw georgia oh right that's where the chandelier was yeah at. yeah okay yeah yeah uh yeah you know like that was all a good learning experience. I think it was, you know, them trying to actual give us some matches to get some uh, ring experience and crowd experience because you react to the crowd, what's going on. It's like, it's live theater, right? Mm. Uh, and so you try to read, read the crowd and, you know, at certain moments, do certain things to get a reaction out of them. And, 
Yeah, it was it was uh, nice being back, or not being back out. I guess it's, I guess I really didn't do much first before that and getting on TV. Um, uh, Dallas Dallas was uh, always always at the power plant um, training, and uh, I actually probably should have had more more. Uh, I should have actually probably been more like him because he was. He was hardcore. He was down there, even though he didn't have to be right. He was, he had a contract, uh, but he just wanted to learn and was down there every opportunity that, uh, that he could be just to get better. Um, and, you know, he did that. He did, you know. Absolutely. I mean, he was, he was in his thirties when he started training to be a wrestler and everyone was like, you're crazy getting in at this point, but he was adamant and lo and behold, you know, what was it? Nearly five years later, he went to WCW world title. So he proved, uh, proved them wrong. Uh, <laughs> uh, so now you get on a bit of a roll on TV. Um, you beat the best right hand in the business, Bob Cook on January 10th, 1994, followed by a win over Bob Starr at the same tapings. I guess this is like the Saturday night tapings. Uh, and another one I wanted to bring up because I thought you might learn something from this guy considering, you know, his name in the business. You worked with Rip Rogers on your W Story Pro debut on January 31 in Macon, Georgia. Do you feel, uh, you know, Rip Rogers was someone you could learn from? Um, probably because, you know, he's anybody in there, anybody of that group that you just mentioned, we're all better than me because they had done it longer than me. And I was green. Um, but uh, I don't know. I can't, re I don't really remember Rip Rogers that much, except I just thought he was a dick. He probably <laughs> wasn't. It probably wasn't. It was maybe, maybe he just rubbed me wrong, the wrong, something he said or did. Uh, but that was my feeling at the time. And I was like, who's this prick? But uh <laughs> he's you know he's been in the business longer than me and he had more experience so i should have just shut up and listened to him but you know once you <laughs> once, once you get once you somebody rubs you the wrong way and again i don't even remember why but i just kind of have that feeling like that's how i felt about him fair enough no i i interviewed him last year and uh he because i had to call him via skype to his phone, we couldn't do video. It said on the phone call that it was a, a spam call. So when he answered, uh, he chewed me out saying, if you, if you fuck me on this, I swear to God, I will find you and cut your fucking balls off. And I thought that that was tremendous. So I, I just, I guess that is, you know, he can, he can be a little, uh, oh, maybe, <laughs> see, maybe that, maybe that's why I, uh, Maybe that's why I had the feeling that I had about him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, before we get to your pay-per-view debut, you get more wins on Saturday night in Atlanta over Fred Avery and Ronnie Vegas. Um, but your pay-per-view debut, this is pretty big. I mean, you're very young into the business, but I would say, you know, if I were in your position, I'd be like, wow, like all, you know, this time later, all of a sudden, now on pay-per-view at Super Bowl Four in Albany, Georgia, against the Equalizer, who is many know as Dave Sullivan. Can you please take me through your experience uh, performing on this show in front of that big crowd? Uh, yeah, I, hey, I re he, uh, uh, Equalizer, Dave, whatever. 
he was one of the guys that lived in the same building uh, that uh, that I did. So I kind of knew him too. Um, and I think I remember I rode down to that show um, in the car with Booker T that day, I think. And I think I fell asleep the whole way there because I was tired. I don't know. Um, but when I, I was nervous, of course, it was my first big uh, pay-per-view. And um, I remember running because my gimmick was a lot of a, a lot uh, ultimate warrior ish. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just like I think the renegade was ultimate warrior ish. Right. WCW's version. Um, and I remember like. Since I was kind of copying that ish a little bit. I remember like running to the ring, like full speed. And I think actually, uh, I think I actually hurtled over the, uh, over the ropes to get into the ring that night. I can't remember. And, but I was blown up sky high just by the time I got to the ring running. And I was like, how the hell did, did uh warrior do that? All that. I mean, hell, I, by the time I got into the ring, I was blown up just from, just from the run down to the, uh, to the ring. <laughs> and I could just remember in there just you know, doing everything I had to do. But again, I was so green then that I was just so, I think the nerves causes you to, to get blown up even more mm-hmm. than if you just relaxed and it was no big deal. Like I, I wasn't having fun yet there if once you get more experience you can go out and have fun right because you're not so nervous um to make sure you get everything right or remember everything um and you go out and you have more fun and you're not blown up and and you do a much better job but i was out there trying to remember every little thing and uh and so blown up i remember thinking to myself oh my god all right i got I got five more moves, three more moves, you know, and I was like, holy shit. I was so glad it was over with because I was, I was sucking air, but yeah, man, when you, you know, later on, um, when you're more experienced, it's just more fun and easier. So it becomes more fun, but it was, you know, it was a big moment, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just guess I wasn't ready for it yet. That probably what, what year was that? That's uh 19, uh, excuse me, sorry, I believe 1994. Yeah, okay, so that probably was one of the last ones there because I know it was 92 to 94. Yeah, there's not long to go, that's for sure. Uh, and I went to Japan in 94 of like uh November, I think. So that's probably one of the last, that's correct? Yeah, one of the last ones that I had there up in WCW. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple more I'm going to mention before we get to my final question about WCW. Uh, you get further wins over Brian Armstrong, a.k.a. Road Dog, and The Gambler at the February 22nd, 94 Saturday Night Tapings. They're keeping you strong here, bro, and then suddenly in my research, things start to slow down. You don't make another TV appearance until March 19 for Worldwide in your debut on that show against Jimmy Rogers, where you pick up the win. You work Rip Rogers again in a dark match on the 30th at Saturday night. And then you are off until May 7th, 94 against Rick Froude. May 15th, 94, where you face Lord Stephen Regal in a television title match and you lose on these occasions. 
But then a few months later, August 17th, you take a loss to the Honky Tonk Man on Saturday night, and then you are no longer in WCW. I know that was a lot for there for me to, to, to throw out yeah. there, you, but um, I just wanted to kind of like put a bow on your WCW run uh, by mentioning all of that. What led you to leaving the company? Uh, and, you know, how are you feeling when that push all of a sudden came to a halt? You know, I'm glad you said mentioned all that because I honestly don't even remember wrestling Ric Flair. You said I wrestled Ric Flair? Uh, Rick Rude, sorry. Oh, Rick Rude. Okay, I remember Rick Rude. Yeah, he was awesome. I loved working oh, with him. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and again, I, I can I, re, I remember seeing that tape before and, and just looking at it, cringing, you know, later as a more experienced wrestler going ah oh, that was horrible but he was an awesome dude he 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 gave me a lot of stuff and yeah. was cool with me wanted to work out that worked with me and um um uh what was the original question I oh sorry. it was just uh you know that this push uh kind of comes to a halt, uh, you, you, you lose your last three matches there, and then suddenly you were gone. Um, I just want to know how you were okay. gone. And, yeah. and what, what, why or what happened? You know, it's it's funny, like, you know, not anymore because I don't wrestle anymore, but, but back in the day, they would ask me or like, how come you're not wrestling here or there or whatever? And it's not like that I wouldn't wrestle here or there or wherever they're talking about but uh you only get to work there if they actually hire you and and they say yes come work for us we'll give you a job so uh the same way why aren't you in particular movie well nobody called and said hey we want you to star in this movie yeah. nobody was the con they, the contract had expired or there was a uh probably a clause in it i don't remember exactly but uh yeah i didn't get re-signed and then so i was like oh now what do i do okay so fair it's enough usually not by choice well it, it depends some people will actually you know they will leave to go to another company for more money or negotiate or whatever but and my choice it was just uh uh, this guy's done. We tried everything we could. He's green. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, thank you for the insight there. And yeah, I watched that match with Rick Rude earlier tonight. And man, he made you look like a million bucks as far as I'm concerned. You you had most of the match until right at the end there where you picked up the win uh, <laughs> after you reversed the steel trap. But uh, anyway... Um, all of a sudden, all Japan comes calling, and you're essentially connected to the company for the most part for the next 3,660 days or 10 years and seven days. Um, before I get into some all Japan questions, what was it about Japan that was a match made in heaven for Jim Steele? Um, I don't know. I liked it a lot. Uh, Johnny Ace got me in there. Right. Uh, he was a local Florida guy too, and he was he was like their I don't know what you would call him their uh, American Lazion. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. All the boys would talk to him to get over there, unless they had their own connections and talk to Mister or Mrs. Baba. Um, 
And so he's a for he 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 brought me over, I think, for the tag tournament. Yeah. Um, and I think I just came over as Jim Steele. Yeah. And uh and then called back and said, Hey, you want to come back again? I'm like, Yeah, of course. Uh, and he says, Well, we got a mask for you to wear. I believe that's what I came back next as. Um, I'm like, in a mask? Sure, I'll come back because <laughs> like, I wanted to work, you know? So uh, that was lacrosse. And uh, I don't know, at some point uh, they, uh, they had switched me to another character, Wolf Hawkfield. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and then we had a good run with Wolf Hawkfield. They were um, they were in cahoots with Sega, I guess. Of Sega course, yeah. Game company. Yeah. And Wolf Hawkfield was a Sega game character. And uh, they were creating uh, all Japan wrestling uh, game right of course yeah and uh so of course with all the all japan wrestling uh stars japanese and gaijins gaijins just means uh <clears throat> american wrestler yep. uh, that's their foreigner term and uh so they i guess transitioned me into one of sega's characters that was wolf hawkfield and that's how i got that name and uh then me and johnny smith had a good run as the uh all asian tag team champions yep. that's another name that i have no idea what johnny smith have you ever have you were you ever able to get a hold of him i have no i no idea what uh whatever happened to him he just kind of fell off from what uh, i know um, sorry let me just double check this before i say it uh he sorry i think i heard uh, something about that maybe sorry let me just double check uh what's going on with him now yeah no he's just he's been retired since 2003 uh it became a police officer. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, police. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, I want. I wanted to, to kind of rein you back in here, uh, Jim, because uh, I, I, I've got other questions about your oh, time sure, in sure. all Japan. I uh, just stay off. Uh, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Trust me. Um, but like, uh, I felt like because this is, look, this is what I found in my research, like. A lot of people remember you as WCW's Jungle Jim Steel, but to be honest, you had a 10-year run in all Japan. You in WCW doesn't define your wrestling career. Your wrestling career is defined by what you did in Japan and what you did in Puerto Rico, as far as I'm concerned. So I feel it's really important for me to do like this nice little somewhat deep dive on your time there because uh, everyone needs to know, hey, Jungle Jim Steel wasn't just Jungle Jim Steel. He also did all of this stuff for 10 long years in Japan. So um, you come in for the real 
uh, World Tag League in 94. You're teaming with Dan Spivey. You work with some crazy names. Dr. Death, Johnny Ace, Kenta Kabashi, Mitsuharu Masawa, Dory Funk Jr., as we mentioned, Johnny Smith, Abdullah the Butcher, Giant Bubba, and Stan Hansen. This must have been a masterclass for you to come in and, and learn, uh, you know, their style of wrestling. And, you know, you come in being this green guy from WCW. Now you're working with all of these huge names from the business. Yeah, that's where I actually, that's where I actually, I think, learned my craft not so much interviews because they didn't do theatrics and interviews really, um, except what was in the ring. But that's where I learned a lot of psychology and putting a match together. Um, so, you know, by the time I had been there for a little while, I mean, heck, you're wrestling all the time. Uh, and frequently um that that just that that helped me craft my uh my professional wrestling for sure and then of course Puerto Rico on the mic a little bit more but yep so yeah I had great people to learn from a wealth of knowledge Absolutely. And I kind of feel like this is a much better opportunity to get better and to learn by having matches that go longer than five or six minutes like you're doing in WCW, only having these short matches, maybe a bit longer on a, on a live event. But now you're in there with all these very experienced men and you're having these uh, longer matches. So that would definitely be a masterclass. Uh, but another interesting little tidbit I found in 1995 was on the 20th of February, you team with a guy by the name of Jeff Barber and defeat Barry Horowitz in the Brooklyn Brawler in a dark match on Monday Night Raw. Is that correct? Say it, say it again. February 2095, teaming with Jeff Barber against Barry Horowitz and the Brooklyn Brawler. It's in Macon, Georgia. Actually, I think that does sound right because I, I did have a couple matches up there also later on with Bart Gunn. Of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't remember if I don't think anything happened. Obviously nothing happened of that, but yeah, I do. I do remember um, having a match and that sounds, that sounds, uh, that sounds about right. Okay, cool. I uh, just want to bring it up because I thought it was important to mention your first dark match in, with the WWF. Cause I, when I see you, you know, in early WCW and I see how, in shape you are and how big you are, I would think Vince McMahon would look at you and be like, yeah, let's get him in, pal. You know what I mean? But uh, I guess... I was hoping so too. <laughs> <But> <laughs> <Yeah>. I guess <laughs> not. <laughs> uh, and then another thing I want to bring up, I don't know if it's a sore spot for you or not. Um, our good friend Mike Moran mentioned it to me a little while ago, 17th of June, 1995. ECW barbed wire hoodies and choke slams at the ECW arena in Philly. How did this opportunity come about? What were you promised? And what and was what happened on the show? Was that what you were told was going to happen? You take five choke slams from 911 and and Paul Heyman essentially takes that opportunity to rip into WCW. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Well, yeah, so his plan I guess was uh to kill off Jungle Jim by doing that. Um I don't think the excessive choke slams were planned going out. I knew, 
I was going to get choke slammed. Um, and uh, I don't know, maybe one or twice. But I, but yes, he can, he did it excessively, which whatever. He's trying to kill off a character because, uh, according to him, he was going to make a new character, which is oh, cool. Okay. Um, and uh, I, it's kind of fuzzy. It, it may, had I stuck around, maybe, but I was starting to get bored with, I, I, I and I'm, I'm assuming that I would have maybe gotten to it to do some interviews that night, but they were dragging on so long. And I think that was part right. of the point up there that after the matches, they all did the interviews. Um, and I was just a nobody that was getting a shot. So my interviews would have been at the very end after everybody else was done. And I think I just got tired of fucking waiting and uh, said, fuck this and, and left. Right. So I don't know, you know, had I, had I stayed there and, uh, and, waited to do my interview or hear what he had planned. It almost sounded like he had um, uh, something that did uh, Scott Steiner did. Was he, he was in ECW too. When did he get his big Papa pump gimmick? Uh, he was big Papa pump. And I believe 19. Was that something he started in ECW? No, I don't believe so. Big WWF, okay. Later on, WCW, yeah. Um, so, if I remember correctly, he was, it sounded like he was talking something like that. Um, again, I don't know if that was, if, if um, uh, Scott Steiner was already doing that or if, if uh, uh, Paul Heyman was thinking of something similar to that, if that was before that or what even, but that's for, in, in my mind, thinking back, that's what I think he wanted to do is kill off jungle Jim because it was WCW gimmick. And you know, they were at feud with, with uh, WCW. So his idea was to kill that off and create a new character. Okay. And had I, had I, Stayed there long enough to maybe do it, but I mean, hell, it was getting late in the night, and I was like, "Fuck, how many?" You know, so it was probably it probably might have been just my, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, my uh, being tired and and uh, restless of just waiting around and feeling like a mark waiting for everybody to finish their <laughs> interviews in order to get to mine if I was even going to get. An interview at yeah. that moment i'm not sure um so it was probably had a lot to do with me just being like fuck this i'm not waiting around anymore i know um, sometimes when they did those promos after the shows they could be there until seven in the morning eight o'clock in the morning yes ridiculous <laughs> i already guess so it was probably my impatientness i didn't want to wait and stick around who knows um, I I watched the match nine one one back earlier, and I noticed after the third choke slam, Paul got down. I don't know if he said something to you, but I feel like he got 
maybe he was just in character and he was pretending to talk trash to you, but did he say anything to you like uh, outside of being in character and say, hey, man, you got to take two more of these? Or do you remember that at all? Because it looked like he oh, said... No, I, don't, I don't remember that at all. I don't all. remember. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I want to bring it to Puerto Rico before I get to some more All Japan talk. Um I want to know about your experience with the World Wrestling Council in Puerto Rico. You debut there as November 24th, 95 in, I guess it's pronounced Ponche, Puerto Rico, or... Can you date one more time? Uh, November 24th, 1995. Uh, is... Yeah, it, would have, it actually would have, well, it would have, I, I remember I went there in 95, right before Halloween. So that would have been my whatever... Maybe that maybe it didn't air till, but oh, that seems right. like, a whole, like a whole month later. But yes, so it was uh, ninety five was the correct year, and I I, I flew down there in October because I remember it was before Halloween. Right, I stayed until the end of the year. So you're saying what 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 town Ponce? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that would be Ponce. Uh, your team with Carlos Colon and a loss to Mabel and Blackjack Bennett, who I believe is uh, uh, Tough Tom from Disorderly Conduct. Uh, okay, I, yeah, I know, I know, I would know Tom through Mike. Yes. Um, so I just wanted to bring that up, uh, but I wanted to fast forward it to April 20th, 1996. So this is, you know, how many months is that? Six, seven months. You win the World Wrestling Council television title from Ricky Santana in, gosh, I'm so bad at pronouncing uh, towns, but Caguas, Puerto Rico. Um, It must have been, at least, you know, for you, this is the first time uh, in your wrestling career um, that you've won a singles championship. I know a lot of people feel like a, re- a wrestling belt is more of a prop, but it's also the office saying, hey, look, we believe in you and we think that you're good. This must have been a thrill for you in some way to be given this opportunity and to wrestle a legend like Ricky Santana must have been great too. Um, yeah, well, uh, Ricky was awesome. He was he was uh, another great hand. Um, and... Uh, uh, if I remember correctly, it was that big bowl shaped thing, right? Yeah. Uh, right. Um, actually, it was just a pain in the ass to carry that thing around. <laughs> I mean, you're right. I would have rather had a belt because carrying that shit around was like just another thing that you had to drag along with you. <laughs> um, but yeah, hey, it's good to it's it's good to have the office, I guess. Uh, invested in you and i remember um i remember doing a big angle i believe on that when i before i left in 95 because i was going back to japan before i was coming back to puerto rico and so i remember closing out the 95 season there in in uh, puerto rico that uh, they had a gimmick with me and Bronco wrestling where uh, Bronco would beat me up and I was spitting up blood and they stretchered me off. And then I didn't come back until I see, because I remember I got married in February 
and of the following year that would have been uh, 96 and february march so i thought i came back in march um it could have been april maybe um but i know when i got back to puerto rico i guess they had been playing um angles of of the the match that we had that i had with bronco stretcher me out taking me in the ambulance to the hospital and back then i think angles worked better because they didn't have internet so much uh i think the internet came around right 95 dial up yep. so yep. it didn't have all of the shit all of the uh the kayfabe sheets and stuff and so it was it was definitely easier to to keep things uh hushed up and uh so when i did finally come back to puerto rico um i didn't realize before but when i came back i'm like holy shit they must have been running the hell out of this angle because everywhere i mean and wrestling is so popular on that island um, that I think it got more ratings than like different news channels. Uh, but I remember when I came back to Puerto Rico, it didn't matter where I was on the island, pumping gas or going to the grocery store, you were recognized everywhere. <clears throat> and and everybody was just like, jungle, go get them. Like they, they, they had seen over and over and over for the last, what three four months the angle with uh with bronco and so that was i think that was probably the, my first realization there of damn how powerful wrestling was on the island and how right. over everything was absolutely it's crazy over there because uh it seemed like even after you know the cat was out of the bag because of vince mcmahon over there they still kind of treat it like it's real they feel like it's real and they react like it's real they're they're crazy they're wrestling crazy over there uh, yeah, what, I, don't feel like, I mean i'm assuming they're intelligent people they're, i mean they but man when they get into their when they get into their wrestling i mean it's it's freaking crazy how they really take that shit to heart man it was yeah <laughs> Uh, I wanted to bring this one up because obviously, you know, our good friend Mike Moran, uh, he got us in, in contact with one another. So I thought I should bring this up. 19th of October, 1996, WWC Tag Team Championships are on the line. The Texas Hangmen defeat yourself and Ricky Santana in Humacao, Puerto Rico. Uh, I just want to ask you, you know, was this when you, you you became friends with Mike and, and and your friendship stayed to this day? You know, you know what what is uh you know your friendship with like uh with Mike? Oh uh, yeah, sure. I don't I don't know you know exactly when it uh, when it started down in Puerto Rico, but I think we're you're pretty much friends with all the American guys for sure, right? Because you feel a little bit more connected with them um, because you're the you're the uh, foreigner, you're the visitor there in Puerto Rico, and so you just kind of form a camaraderie with with the boys that were from back home. And plus, he was uh, 
he was uh, living here in Florida too. So we had a little bit more, uh, I guess, of a reason to be friends. And we came back and, you know, um, I, that's what I, that's what I can remember back from the Puerto Rico days. But yeah, we've been friends, I guess, ever, ever since um, back to those days. And, you know, those are Puerto Rico days. You know, I did, I didn't like it that much when I was down there, I guess. I mean, I did like it, but looking back now, I have like awesome fond memories yeah. of, uh, <clears throat> man, my throat's tickling me. I, I have also awesome fond memories of, of living down there. Heck, I mean, you know, and, and when I first went down there in, um, uh, 95 October, um, I only, I only got a one-way ticket, actually. He sent me a one-way ticket down there, and I was thinking to myself, um, I knew he wanted me to stay longer, I guess, um, but I was hoping just to go down there and wrestle and go back home and maybe, you know, fly back and forth. I don't know. But Puerto Rico wasn't that kind of a territory. They wanted you to stay there, which was All good. Right. That's when you learned a lot. Um, so I really wasn't keen on staying there. So I stayed from October to the end of the year, December sometime, middle of December of 95. And then I got married and then I moved back to Puerto Rico. And Puerto, I actually lived in Puerto Rico where that was my actual address. Uh, I got rid of my place in, in Florida and actually, or actually I was living in Atlanta at the time. Um, and so I moved to Puerto Rico. That was my actual address for, uh, for a little over a year until um, all Japan said that they were bringing me over full time. And that would have been in like, I don't know, summer-ish of 97, which I was like glad at that point. I was like, yes. So, cause then I could go back to Florida um, and of course made more money. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, but looking back on it, it's like, damn man, you know, we kind of had a fight for our money. Um, and I feel mm. bad for a lot of the guys in Puerto Rico. Uh, a lot of them, I don't think got paid or eventually they probably didn't get paid a lot of them, or they were all, they were behind like the guys that lived there, me included, and uh, they would be behind on our pay. Um, but they eventually would pay, pay us up. And I'm fortunate that, um, they actually never stiffed me. They were late on paying me sometimes a lot, but uh, they, I actually got all my money and everything that was promised to me. So by that regards, I have nothing bad to say about Puerto Rico. And if you think about it, the, at the time, of, you know, the amount of work that we did, even though we got paid late, we made a pretty decent money for back in that day. Um, and then looking back on it, it was just fond memories, good times. Awesome, bro. That's great. Uh, love hearing about people's experiences in Puerto Rico. I've had a few guys on the show now uh, that spend a bit of time there, like, uh, you know, Bull Payne and Tough Tom and Mean Mike and Frankie Lancaster. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to bring uh, this up. Uh, obviously, you do go back to all Japan. You have a, a group called the Triangle of Power with Dr. Death and Gary Albright. You are also Wolf Hawkfield winning the tag titles with Johnny Smith. Fantastic run. 
Um, please tell me a little bit about uh, both of these things here. Uh, give me one second because my throat is like really. Bro, you, that's uh, fine, bro. You need some water. You need a. <laughs> Not a problem at all. All right. <laughs> Okay. I'm sorry. What was the question again? <laughs> uh, you you formed the triangle of power with Dr. Right, okay. and Gary Albright and also uh, teaming with Johnny Smith to become the All-Asia Tag Team, tag team Champions. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, Doc and Gary. Uh, hell, Doc was like a, a main staple there along with, uh, along with uh, Stan Hansen mm, and of course yep. Johnny Smith. Um, yeah, you know, th those were those were fun times. Uh, I can remember traveling on the bus. I mean, hell, the, the bus was always stocked with beer for us. Oh, great. And so <laughs> after the match, that's the first thing you would do, go out to the bus and, and grab a beer, or, or at least when we were done with the show, we would grab a beer and head to the next town. And we had, we had uh, um, video on the bus, so we were watching movies. I mean, that was a cake job. And the only thing we had to do is, is be down in the front lobby when when uh, they told us to be there, and and uh, that was it. Everything else they they totally did for us. They took us from hotel to hotel, to town to town, handed us our keys. And uh, you know, I, I that was I really I really do look back on that and the very fond memories. Um, you know, and that also back in the day when we would go to Japan, we were almost not almost right immediately, but we were definitely counting down the days to be done and go back home because we're on the road. Right. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we miss our home families and stuff like that. Um, but back then it was much harder um, to, to do than I imagine it would be now with internet. And again, they had internet back then, but it was dial up. Yeah. It was just emails basically now with, you know, uh well zoom but uh before that skype or any of the video conferencing i mean it would you wouldn't feel as isolated mm. from your family and stuff because you could just do a video conference or you know just how, how cool would that be to be <clears throat> to be able to you know hey this is what i'm doing tonight i'm walking into this little yakitori place like i i wish like I, I miss the food there i used to get tired of the food there and oh god i can't wait to get back home but now now i totally miss some of the i love love uh yakiniki was probably my favorite favorite meal there are you familiar with yakiniki or korea barbecue you know what no, I, I know that what that is, yeah, but I haven't actually had the chance to try it before. And and they, you know, I haven't really seen any place 
over here in the states that have that have actually duplicated that um, very much. There is one place around here. It's a ramen shop uh, that is very very close to. It's a small place. Doesn't hold very many people. And if I that's probably the only place that I've seen that's very authentic. And if I didn't know any better, I might think I was back in Japan somewhere. But just <laughs> all those little yakitori, shabu shabu. I love all that shit. And I miss that. I, and I'd love, love to go back there again someday just to, to, to uh, hell, just to go eat all my different favorite places. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a very, fond fond time puerto rico and japan now you know i think that's all you have to look back on is memories right absolutely yeah <laughs> um so here's an exciting part of your career to bring up you form a team with mike barton aka bart gun obviously very infamous in the wrestling industry everyone knows who bart gun is um after some short weeks at one point in the wwf but you join masahiro chono's team 2000 how was mike as your partner i kind of feel like this this team really clicked and i was surprised that you guys never actually won the tag team championship there um but how was mike as your partner um he was awesome um and we, uh, I mean, it was funny how that whole thing worked out because I think uh, Mr. Baba was already gone, I think, at that time. He had already yeah. died. And and Mrs. Baba, they were kind of working together a little bit, right? Because they, they lent us out, me and Mike, Bart, uh, to go to New Japan for a tour. Right. And... Uh, and I, I'm trying to remember, there might have been some office shit going on with All Japan. Obviously, there was, because a lot of them left and formed NOAH. Yeah. And, um, and, and I don't know, we might have been catching some wind of that. And then they used me and Mike over there in, in New Japan. And we were like, hey, maybe this is a time for us to jump over to New Japan and let's and so um, I believe, I don't know, I'm sure they, they talked it out with, with all Japan, but that we decided to, to jump over to New Japan. And I remember like there was a, I don't know, a one shot we were going to do. I can't remember if we were in all, working on the all Japan side tour and then we were going to do something, a one-shot deal just for one day in, in uh, New Japan. And then the next tour, we were coming back and working for New Japan. And I, I remember, it's like, it was only like, I don't know, in two or three days was this one shot. But because it was with a different company, they had to fly us all the way home for like one or two days and to fly us all the way back. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't allow us to stay and um in tokyo for like it would have been so much easier to put us up in a hotel for two days and just let us rat, re relax and rest and then do the show and then go home but we had they, they had to fly us home then they had to fly us back and fly us so but i did like the new japan was a little bit different than all japan uh not necessarily better just different 
Um, but they were, it, it seemed like their production was a lot bigger and more WWF-like as far as like entrance, almost like the same, not a Titan Tron necessarily, but just they had a larger entrance that would look good on TV because of the yeah. pyro. And uh, um, so just, it seemed like they were much flashier and more modern than All Japan. All Japan was very much more old school, just a curtain to come out. Um, so we definitely enjoyed that. And then I hurt my knee over there. Um, actually, this was after we had already jumped ships and were with New Japan. And we were getting a great push. And who knows what would have happened, but I tore my knee over there right in the ring and uh, had to go home and get that repaired. And then uh, I think I came back maybe eight months later after it was, uh, after it was fixed and healed. Um, but yeah. Right. Um, another interesting tidbit that I found in my research, the 18th of June, 2001, you defeat Buck Quartermain in a dark match um, before the tapings of WWF Jacked at the Ice Palace in Tampa, Florida. Uh, and then obviously, uh, as you mentioned earlier, December 15 and 16, yourself and Mike team up in a couple more dark matches before Sunday Night Heat and Velocity. Firstly, with a win over Brent Dale and Carlito Colon, and the next day against the Shane Twins. They're giving the tag team a look here. Why doesn't it happen? I don't know. You got to ask Vince about that. Fuck. Um, <laughs> yeah. I wish I knew. Yeah. Um, yeah. It didn't happen. Yeah. Cause you're two big guys. I mean, I know it's 2001. I know the roster's inflated now with WCW and ECW talent with their invasion angle and all that. But man, I don't know. I, I I watched a match between you guys and Chronic earlier, and I'm like, these are two bit like Chronic are big guys, Brian Adams and Brian Clark, big guys, yeah. and you two are just as big as them. So I'm thinking this is something that Vince would like. It makes sense, but again, I don't understand why Jim Steele has never had a WWF contract at this point, especially after. Yeah, well, and, and now it's too late. Now Jim Steele's all hurting, and you know, I definitely can't. <laughs> I have not taken a bump in God 20 years. I don't even know <laughs> shit. <laughs> not to fast forward too much, but uh, again, November 3rd, 2001, a big moment in your career. As far as I'm concerned, you defeat invader number one in uh, Carolina, Puerto Rico to become the world wrestling council, Puerto Rican heavyweight champion. It's only for 21 days, but my God, Come on, you, you, you've won the heavyweight championship after all this time. And and I just think it's important for me to bring that up. How did you feel to be given at least that spot for 21 days? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, you know, I don't know. I never had an ego about having a belt. I don't think I did. Maybe I did back then. Um, I guess... To us, it was just like, or to me at least, it was just like, eh, it's part of part of your storyline. 
Um, and I just never, I just never thought of it that way. Maybe I should have. Maybe That's fine. I, it's okay to not feel like, you know, it's yeah. okay. <laughs> I just like to say that and build it up for you to be like, no, I didn't really, it wasn't really that. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I have to bring this up before I move forward because I, I believe this to be true, but um, I, I need to know from you personally, you spend a lot of time in Puerto Rico. How hot are the women in Puerto Rico? Oh, dude, you know what? They're freaking hot everywhere, seriously, <laughs> in my opinion. Because people will say, oh, man, the women of Florida are hot or the women of California are hot. Dude, they're hot everywhere. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I'm an equal opportunist. I, if they're good-looking, beautiful, I mean... I think there are, I think everybody's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's nice to hear, but I just, I just feel like, man, I would love to be in, in, uh, Jim Steele's shoes, you know, when you look like Tarzan and you were jacked to the gills. I just want to just, just be, look like you for one day, just to see how women look, look at me. Cause look, I mean, I'm, I'm an okay looking guy now, but I, I think I would rather prefer seeing what girls and how women would react to me if I looked like the Tarzan version of Jim Steele. It had its advantages, for sure. <laughs> um, I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah, and back in the day, I was probably a lot, not probably, I was a lot more crazy and, uh, and uh, confident and... I mean, I I can re, yeah I, I can remember just not caring and going right up and talking to women that were maybe with like three or four other guys. I'm like, hold on, I'm gonna go talk to her. <laughs> hey, you know what? A lot of times it would just be like her brother and a bunch of friends. I'm like, yes, sweet, you know. But you might be intimidated because you're like the hot girls with you know three other guys. I'm sure one of those are the, her boyfriend, right? Nope. Not all. I mean, I'm sure sometimes it might have been that way, but uh, a lot of times you just had to have the balls to walk up and say, hey, and start a conversation with them, right? It's half the battle. Absolutely. I just needed to know that that point of view of what it's like to look like that and to be able to approach women and they'll be just ec so ecstatic that, that you've come up and started speaking to them. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, I want to get back to Japan. Uh, what's the idea behind Love Machine? Oh, geez. That's, you know, Japan comes up with some weird, funky names. I don't I, I don't know their reasoning. Like lacrosse, that was a weird name too. And well, it's a sport, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, you would think. Right. Yes, lacrosse is a sport, but not over there. I mean, they might have lacrosse as a sport. I don't know, but the way it was um, told to me is. And I don't know if the translation was very accurate, but lacrosse was some kind of satellite or right. mechanism. Not sure. That that's that's all I remember 
lacrosse was some kind of satellite or something or other and it didn't get a very thorough uh explanation to me but yeah had nothing to do with lacrosse the sport it had something to do with outer space satellite something or other i don't know but, <laughs> fair enough i just thought that some of these names were yeah oh, and back to bring up i mean Love Machine Steel, if anything, it was just a funny name. I don't know where that, I guess maybe in the, because I had teamed up with two other guys also that had masks on that dressed similar. So I don't know if, I think that might've been an old name or character or group of people and yeah, there are a few love machines. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Were there? Okay. All right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I have no idea where that even love machine. Like they, they just have some bizarre. Uh, their sense of humor is, I guess, a little bit different. And it I is. It's a, yeah, their sense of humor is a little different. I've I've noticed I, that I when I've watched them. It, but yeah, I'm like, all right, sure. You want to bring me back as love machines? <laughs> And that was with uh, that was with all Japan. Then again, I guess. Yes, and you teamed with the great Muda. What's that? You teamed with the great Muda as well for a, a tournament, I believe, which must have been pretty special. Yeah, yeah, he was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, the whole time was uh, pretty interesting, and uh, <clears throat> I got a. I got a couple stories I I will share with you when we're all done that are just kind of uh, I don't know interesting humorous type stories, but just remind me at the end and I'll tell you I'll show you those. Well, do, would would you like those stories to be on the rec on the record uh, with our recording here tonight or after we stop recording? Oh, I don't care. This it's it's uh. I guess it could be considered embarrassing, but it's, it's interesting. And so I'm okay. sure your viewers might like it. And it's uh, whatever. I think I I think before I used to be embarrassed about it or whatever, but now it's actually kind of funny, whatever. Okay, I'll bring that up when we get to the end. Uh, but another match I thought was interesting was, uh, damn, I didn't write down the date, but it's it's Giant Barber's sixth anniversary anniversary memorial event uh, at the Nippon Budokan in Tokyo, Japan. George Hines, Jim Steele, and Mike Barton defeat Chuck Palumbo, Jamal, and Rodney Mack. I thought it was interesting to bring it up because I kind of feel like you and Chuck Palumbo look very similar at different points in your career. And yeah. in fact, I talked to Mike Moran about this and we kind of agreed you looked like a mix between Chuck Palumbo and Sean Waltman, the one, two, three kid. I used to get that a lot too. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think actually, I think, or at least we did a long time ago, my face and uh, Sean Waltman's face looked very similar. Hmm. Uh, I could even see the resemblance in the, in the face, especially probably when he was maybe more like the one, two, three kid, maybe yeah, yeah. clean shaven at that time. And that's, I don't know. I saw a resemblance there for sure. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting to bring it up because, you know, when Chuck Palumbo first started wrestling in WCW, he was doing the kind of Tarzan looking character. Right. So uh, I just, 
No, that wasn't him. That was another guy, Renegade. What was his uh, Chuck Palumbo's uh, gimmick? Well, on his Wikipedia, it says that for a sh very short period of time, his name was Jungle Jim. Oh. <laughs> but it got changed to just his regular name, Chuck Palumbo, I think oh. after like one match. Um, but I just thought it was interesting that, you know, you two kind of look similar and uh, you both kind of did the Tarzan-ish thing and you yeah. ended up being in the same match uh, at that anniversary show. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, I wanted to bring it forward even more to the 26th of April 2008 in Bayamon, uh, Puerto Rico at the Pepin... Oh, geez, I can't pronounce these words sometimes. Cicestro Arena uh, or, or Cicestro Arena. You wrestle Orlando Colon as Jungle Jim still, and that appears to be your final match. Is that true? What What's the date on that? The 26th of April, 2008. You know what? Somebody else, um, I think asked me about that recently in another podcast I did. And the the last time I would, the date's incorrect. Uh, okay. Because the last time I wrestled at either place, um, Puerto Rico or Japan, was in 2005. I, I did, uh, I believe in Japan, it might have been uh, Mr. Baba's, one of his anniversary tour things um and it was in uh 2005 and then sometime in the same year it was also in 2005 in puerto rico i want to say june or july what okay. did you say it was june? uh april it said uh oh I mean, maybe april but maybe maybe they just mixed the data because maybe the year's wrong it was 2005 okay um and maybe it was with Orlando. Maybe they just mixed up that uh, two eight to a five. But right. yeah, it was 2005 was my last time in the ring. Right. So that brings me to this question. What made you feel like, okay, I've, I've gone at it now for a good period of time, you know, let, geez, when, when did you start? I mean, 92, uh, you know, this is several years now. What made you say to yourself, you know what, it's time to get out of the business and do something else? Uh, I guess uh, a couple things. Well, one thing we talked about earlier is that, uh, you know, you only have a job when somebody wants to employ you, right? It doesn't matter what it is. If you're a little kid in high school still trying to get them a job, a job at McDonald's or something, if they don't call you back in for an interview and they don't call you in to work, you're not working for them, hmm. um, you know, or whatever. So, um, yeah, maybe could I have tried to uh, to continue wrestling, maybe. Um, but without a main company like All Japan or New Japan or, and I guess WCW was no more, Vince, uh, I don't even know what other companies they had, TNA, if TNA was around at that time. So unless you're working at, one of those companies where you can actually make a living. Um, the, other, the only other choice is doing independent circuits and how, you know, how, how often and how many times you're going to get booked <clears throat> and are you going to be able to make money? 
doing that, getting a booking here and there. How are you gonna? How far are you gonna drive? How are you gonna rely? I mean, independent shows they'll book you, and then something happens and they it falls apart, and they, you know. So I'm like, oh crap! I gotta, I gotta get a real job, I guess, because uh, all Japan or New Japan wasn't calling me back. I wasn't getting a call from Vince. Um, so I needed, you know, you got to make some money. You got to live. I didn't make enough money to just live off my savings. Um, and, uh, so I got a, I, I got a job working at, uh, a publishing company and it was difficult to make that transition from wrestling lifestyle to a regular nine to five type of job where you had to, you know, uh, be there all day and just like, uh, so, um, yeah, I did that. And then in, uh, 2008, the end of 2008, if you remember, how old are you? I'm 34. 34. So, um, you might be able to remember, uh, but not, not that 2008 was that, that far long ago, but when the economic, uh, well, and, and Australia might have been different too. I don't know, but in the states, in the two thousand eight, um, the economic crunch crisis. Crisis. Where- yeah, I remember. I was actually holidaying in Paris at the time, and the only channel I could get that spoke English was CNN, and it happened whilst I was there. So, yeah, I remember this. And so, um, you know, businesses and companies were were closing down because they just couldn't stay afloat. Uh, houses were going into foreclosure and shit. The company that I had worked for, which was a startup company, uh, they had been around for uh, maybe four years now at the time. And um, they went out of business. So I'm like, crap, what do I do now? Oh, uh, I'm going to either be like digging ditches or something for the rest of my life or I better go back to school. So I went back to school um, and I didn't actually know what I wanted to do yet, uh, but I had some friends in the health field and uh, I was dating a nurse uh, maybe the year prior to that. And I remember she always had a job, always had money and nice things. And I'm like, hmm. And I didn't even think about that then, but maybe a year later after I was already in school and I was going towards just kind of the science uh, arena. And then I like, Oh, you know what? I remember she, you know, and then I just kind of went towards that degree and that's where I am now. Yeah. Well, it's smart. I mean, there's always going to be sick people. There's always going to be someone to help out, you know, in that field. So, I mean, yeah, obviously that's, that's a good uh, route to go down and, and, and props to you for, for, for being in that field. And obviously with the way that the world is right now, you, you your life must be incredibly hectic with that. So, um, pandemic going on. Yeah. I heard you guys are really locked down in Australia huh? or you were, I don't know how it is now, but I heard you guys really had a lockdown. We had a solid lockdown for a good two months uh, when it first happened. Yeah. Couldn't do anything other than go to the supermarket, the pharmacy, or uh, a liquor store, which is where I work at on my for my part-time oh. job. Uh, <laughs> so just like the essentials. But in my city, Perth, Western Australia, it's the most isolated city in the world. 
We've been uh, very lucky where for the most part for the last year, we haven't even had to wear masks. Uh, everything has been wide open. Uh, only just the other day we had all of our restrictions ended. But then like a few days ago, somebody f- flew over from over east, had caught it from over east, and now we're on lockdown again. <laughs> so oh, uh, and only for three days or three or four days. But we'll probably have to wear the masks for a few weeks after that before we get back to our normal. Being the most isolated city in the world has its advantages for once. So yeah. <laughs> I think all the lockdown bullshit is crazy, though. I think it's been proven that they don't really work that well because places that did not lock down did better than the places that locked down. I don't know. I, I don't guess know. that's debatable, but. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you mentioned earlier some stories that you wanted to bring up right at the end. Here's your chance. You felt like they might have been embarrassing stories, but now you find them to be humorous. Please. Oh, yeah. So, me, Jim. Okay. So, you know, I've never been knocked out in any other, in any other instance, but in wrestling, I had been uh, knocked out. Well, what, one time I was, um, <clears throat> I guess I was knocked unconscious or in Puerto Rico. I had, I remember I was wrestling D'Lo Brown and I, I, I caught him off the top with a cross body and I didn't miss a beat in the match, but I'm, I don't even know how I would have completed everything because I don't remember any of it. And I, after the match, I walked back to the dressing room and uh, I was asking everybody there, did you see my match? Oh yeah, amigo, it was good. Like, it was good, but I mean, how did it look? Everything, oh no, everything looked good. I'm like, and I would ask the next person and the next person, if you've ever been knocked out or had like a concussion, um, you kind of lose your memory a little bit. Yeah. And so I would ask this person, this person, this person, this the same question. And I would get it back around to the first guy I asked. And I would ask him because I didn't remember asking him just a moment ago. <laughs> and he's like, amigo, you just asked me. I said everything looked good. Oh, okay. And, I, you know, I did this. And I'm like, what the hell? <clears throat> I, after that cross body off the top, must have just hit my head right where um, it just gave me a concussion and I had just a little bit of memory loss. And I don't know how I finished the match, but apparently I did and did not miss a beat, I guess. <laughs> um, but I have no recollection of it at all. <laughs> so that was, the first, that was the first time. Okay. Then the second time and only other time that I can remember ever having that happen was in Japan. And um, it is the last day of um, our tour. Oh, and by the way, too, just something else different. I just wanted to throw in there. In in, uh, Japan, my favorite, like we, we worked in some big arenas there. Uh, the Tokyo Dome, which is 
which is like huge. I don't know how many people that place holds. I think it maybe uh, it holds more than actually than than uh, we were wrestling in front of. But we had a big show there where probably I don't know 50,000 people maybe. Right. That's not, that, that, that was definitely not my favorite place. My two favorite places were the Budokan and and which is a pretty long, I think that's like 16, 17, 18,000 people. But the way the way the stands are, they go up like this and, and Japanese fans um, show their appreciation much different than like American fans. When they're, they're in, they, they watch it, they're quiet and they're like really watching. And then when something exciting happens, <laughs> Well, you've seen because you've watched the uh, different. They start stopping their feet, right? <laughs> I mean, they just and, and when you got eighteen thousand people inside this Budokan dome, stopping their feet, dude, you just you could be blown up sky high, <laughs> and you just get adrenaline and goosebumps, and it's like fuck yeah. So that that's like Budokan was the my favorite place to wrestle. I just wanted to throw that in there. And then also oh. another place, another place uh, was Korokan Hall or Korokan Hall. I'm not I might be mispronouncing it, yeah. <clears throat> but that is also another small. Not I mean Budokan is not small, but the Korokan Hall is it holds maybe two thousand people. You know, compared right. to, but they are right on top of you. You can literally almost just reach out and touch them. And you get the same kind of reaction there. That place is all those two of my two favorite places wrestling. Um, but this particular match was at Karakan Hall, actually. It was the last show of our tour. Um, and it actually happened to be like a day show where we were gonna leave out later that night, uh, later that day. A lot of times we would finish wrestling at the Budokan. We go to the airport hotel and leave the very next day. But this was an early show. We got to leave later that day. So I'm in the in the ring. It's me, me and George Hines, Eagle. This is when I had the mask on. So lacrosse and Eagle versus uh, Rob Van Dam and Sabu. Oh, boy. <laughs> and oh my God. last match. And uh, we're going over, me and Jor. Actually, uh, Eagle was going to go over on one of them. I forget which one. But uh, I'm in the ring. We're doing, we're doing a little spot um, where they threw me into the turnbuckle. I went into the turnbuckle face first, like just chest first. Staggered back. They both give me a spin kick. Um, and then... I think the move was maybe Sabu was coming off with the leg or something. Rob was coming off with a, with a splash. Yeah. That'll be it. Yeah. One, two kick out. And then I was going to tag out. Right. So it must've been that double when they threw me into the turnbuckle and I came back, they gave me that double kick, like they would bounce on, they would jump onto the rope, both of them, and yeah. do a double kick to me. One of those kicks knocked me out. I don't know. Um, probably Rob. <laughs> Rob yeah. Damn, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Sometimes on those. Um, <laughs> so, kick me. 
I was out in the middle of the ring and they did their splash. But usually when you're taking a splash, the very last second, you just tighten up a little bit. And I think Rob could tell that I didn't tighten up and I was just laying there and I was not going to kick out. And so I think he did like a self kick out one, two, and he kicked himself off. Now this is all, this is all being told to me by Rob Sabu, uh, George, and probably everybody else that I asked in the back that, you know, cause they, we all watched each other's matches. So this is all being, this is all from secondhand stories told to me that I gathered after the match, right? So after the one, two, and Rob kicks himself out because he knows that we're supposed to go over, right? So now, how do you get a knocked out lacrosse that's in the center of the ring (laughs) back to tag out? So I guess, I think my partner come, they could tell something was going on. George comes in and like starts grabbing, grabs my, uh, grabs my arm to bring me back over to the corner. And of course, Robin Sabu can't just let him do that. They got to make it look like a fight or something. Right. So they're coming in and kicking each other. And meanwhile, George must've got me over to the corner in time or somehow he went out on the apron reached up and touched my hand, you know, tagged, tagged himself in. And I think also during that, that Sabu and Rob must've been kicking me to get me out of the ring or something. And so I basically just thud. I roll off the ring apron down to the mats below thud because I'm still out. Yeah. (laughs) And and apparently, so I have my mask on, right, as lacrosse. Apparently, I'm snoring in the ring because I'm knocked out, right? And when I sleep, I sometimes, I have sleep apnea. And so I was knocked out. I was, like, snoring in the ring. And so when I fell, when I fell off and hit the mat, you know, they're finishing up the match. But I'm on the, ap- I'm on the, ma- on the mat now coming to. And I just got knocked out. So I have no idea where, where I am. So I'm trying to pull my mask off. You know, the match is going on. I'm outside on the apron trying to pull my mask off because I have no fucking idea what, where I'm at, what's going on. And I'm thinking, what the fuck is this thing on my head? So I go to pull off my mask and I think I got it about halfway and some of the young boys, the Japanese guys that are always out ringside, kind of taking care of everything. I think they threw like a towel over my head because of course the reporters were like trying to take shots. Oh shit, he's taking off his mask. What's going on? <laughs> um, and so the George ends up winning. Um, he goes over and he comes back out and he helps me and we walk through the back and this was when Mr. Bobble was still alive. George said that I uh, almost ran into and knocked Mr. Bobble down because I was just, <laughs> I wasn't still with it. I was like just trying to come around and I'm like wobbly still. And I, you know, 
So I guess I knocked into Mr. Baba, almost knocked him over or something. Anyway, get get back into the dressing room. And, you know, I'm asking everybody, like I did in Puerto Rico that time, I'm asking everybody, dude, what happened out there? And, you know, they're telling me, and then I'm asking somebody else and asking somebody else and make my way back to the original person I asked. And, and I'm like, you know, just asking the same question over and over because I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, so finally I'm like, okay, I accept the story. And, you know, we're all getting ready everybody's taking a shower to to uh to get ready and, and dressed and get on the bus and be taken to the airport because we're going to be flying home that day and i'm like all right so then i'm okay i start to get undressed and there's a fucking load of shit in my pants and i'm <laughs> like <"What?" laughs> because i rob gave me that splash I never protected myself, right? I mean, I was, <laughs> so I put pulling my drawers, my trunks down, and they're like, oh man, that's what that is. Cause out in the ring, they they said they smelt shit. And you're like, what the fuck? You know, they, they were saying that amongst themselves, they're like, what the fuck is that smell, man? I fucking shit my pants out in the ring and I didn't even know it. I'm getting back and I'm like taking, and I look down and there's a fucking, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so that's my, that's my fucking shit the pants story. Wrestling got knocked out, shit my pants. Fucking tried to take my mask off in the middle of this. And I'm like, what the hell? But yeah, it's a I, now I tell that story. I used to tell it with a little bit more theatrics, but it's you know it's easier when I got a, a little bit of a group around, and especially if we're out drinking somewhere. Tell yeah, but it yeah. usually gets a pretty good pop. But uh, <laughs> it is what it is, you know. As uh, as Doctor Death would say, it ain't ballet. <laughs> oh, bro, my cheeks hurt. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Safe to say you were the shits that night. Fantastic. Bro. I was the drizzling shits that night for sure. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that, bro. That was so fucking funny. Uh, <laughs> now, Jim, it comes to our final segment of the evening. It's called Five Second Frenzy. You got five seconds to answer each question. Even if you break for five seconds, it's okay. Most wrestlers need more than five seconds okay. to answer a question. But here we go. Jim, you weren't a wrestling fan growing up, but after year, years in the business and looking back at tapes during your time in the business, who's your favorite wrestler? Oh, hell, Jungle Jim Steele. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Favorite opponent you ever had over the years? Oh, shit, favorite opponent. Uh, oh, man, fuck. Um yeah, see, that takes a little while. Uh, over the years, favorite opponent. Kobashi was a hell of a rest. I mean, I loved working him. Um, I don't know. I'm going to stick with that. I can't really well, think of anything. Else. That's okay. We'll stick with Kabashi. Yeah. There's not too much pressure here. Uh, 
I know this is a tough one as well because, you know, you wrestled for a few years there. Favorite match you've ever had? Is there one match in particular when you look back, you're like, yep, that one was fantastic? Favorite match ever? Yeah. Out of anywhere? Out of anywhere. Oh. Um, I'd say maybe a lot of uh, a lot of uh, me and Johnny Smith's tag team match when we had that run. I don't know how long the run was, but uh, we got a lot of press coverage and uh, uh, covers of the magazines over there, which in Japan, uh, you get a cover magazine over there is pretty big deal. We had some center spreads and stuff. It was, that was a fun, that was a fun run. Um, of course, with Mark Gunn too. Um, yeah. Ray Gonzalez in, in, uh, in Puerto Rico. We had a lot of good matches down there too. I believe the tag title reign with uh, Johnny was 270 days. I could be wrong, but ah, just about a less that. than a year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Look, it might get easier from here on because it's not no longer about wrestling. It's okay. out of there. We, we've talked about it enough. Favorite book. Favorite book. Uh, um. Gosh, uh, I haven't read it, uh, many books lately, but I do remember. Um, okay. I remember reading a book and I, and this was a while ago. Um, and I believe it's called, I hope they serve beer in hell. That was a pretty oh. interesting, that was a pretty interesting. By, uh, Tucker, Tucker Max, isn't it? You know that one? Okay. Yeah, that was a I've got it on my bookshelf. Oh, have you read it yet? I haven't, no, but I've had it, it for was, a little while. It was while, very, yeah. very uh, interesting, his uh, sexploits and all the different shit he did. I, I read that book like probably, I don't know, in a couple of days or a day. It was just it's like, <laughs> what the hell? Is, I can't believe this shit happened. <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff. I remember, geez, I must have been like 14, 15 years old. I used to like follow his online blog that he had uh, before he brought the book out. So I know a lot of stories of his and I wonder oh, yeah. what he's up to yeah. these days. If you follow the, his blog, then you probably know, I'm sure, some of the stories that are in that book. But yeah, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> some fucked up stuff, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. Favorite TV show, Jim? Favorite TV show? Um, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a I'm a news buff now. Actually, um, uh, all right. This is Tucker Carlson. I like the that show. Tucker okay. Cool. Uh, favorite film? Um, anything with Arnold in it, I used to like. I just saw a movie with him. As actually, it's an older movie, and I didn't. I somehow I overlooked that one. I just watched it the other day. It was pretty cool. Sabotage. Uh, it was from nineteen. Excuse me. It was from two thousand and fourteen. Right. Uh, and I just watched one last night that was pretty good called Nobody. Um, oh yeah, with um. Have you seen that? Yes, it's fantastic, bro. That's oh, you saw it. Okay, so um, my brother turned me on to that. He's like, "Oh, dude, I'm 20 minutes in. This is crazy." 
And so it has the guy, I can't remember his actual name, but it's the guy. He's so good. So Goodman. From, and yeah. From Better Call Saul. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I so fucking that love good. that. Uh, James. Yeah, that was, uh, sorry, no, that's, uh, I want to say Bob something. Bob. Uh, Bob, uh, Bob Odenkirk. That's it. Yep. Yep. So I just watched that last night, actually. That was really good. It was amazing, that film. Uh, okay, moving on. Favorite musical artist or band? Uh, I like Santana. Um, Ricky, or no, not uh, Carlos, Carlos Santana. I remember, and that brings me up to Puerto Rico because there was a time in Puerto Rico when when the uh, the water, for whatever reason, was shut off. Uh, there was some kind of break in the line. One of the main pipelines that supplied like the San Terce area, the, the Isla Verde area, and actually the whole area. And the water was out for like, ended up being out for like, I don't know, almost 14 days. I'm like, what? Oh my gosh. I didn't realize that water is the most important, uh, important resource that we have because you can't flush the toilets you can't wash anything you know you could cook some food maybe if you have some bottled water but then you can't wash the dishes afterwards and i was just and this was like in a nice time of puerto rico it wasn't like a hurricane season this must have been i don't know january february march april something like that where it's like the weather is perfect and beautiful and for whatever reason, the water was off. And every day it would be, don't worry, amigo. Manana, manana. Used to drive me crazy down there. And <laughs> I was so irritated. I remember going down to the beach. And one of the guys down there, his name was Monkey, Mono. Uh, I guess Mono means monkey. But he was one of the dudes that rented out the chairs and stuff. And he was listening to some Carlos Santana <clears throat> and I'm like, what are you listening to, man? And I let me see here. And it was, uh, and it was, it was, the music was so super chill. It kind of calmed me for a moment right. uh, while I was just furious with this freaking no water shit. And so I was like, ever since then, I like Carlos Santana, but I like a lot. Of, I love uh, Five Finger Death Punch. I love that group too. Are you familiar with Five Finger Death Punch? I am. Yes, I'm aware of them. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, we've got we've got five to go uh, here okay. for five second frenzy. Favorite food. Favorite food. Uh, hell, uh, Italian uh, steak. I like Japanese. I like it all. Um, yeah, I, I like it all. Excellent, excellent. Favorite place to eat on the road. Favorite place to eat on the road. Uh, uh, Outback. No, actually, oh, nice. actually, Bonefish is my favorite. Now, you guys have Outback and Bonefish over there? Uh, we do have Outback. You do have Outback over there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Do you have Bonefish too? Never heard of it, no. Uh, I think it's actually owned by the same group, the same company, but uh, that's probably my uh, Outback is everywhere, though. That's a good That's a good one to go by. Good call. Uh, third last one, favorite alcoholic beverage. Oh, shit. Okay, so beer is my go-to, usually. And my favorite beer is a, a local beer from the Tampa Bay Brewing Company called Reef Donkey. 
Right. It's uh, it's like a uh, it's an APA American Pale Ale. So right. it's, it's like got an amberish color to it. But that's my favorite favorite uh, beer. Um, I like Southern Comfort too. I like it. I like uh, I I like uh, a good variety of everything. But my go-to is beer, and it's usually Reef Donkey. Very nice, very nice. Second last one, Jim. The naughtiest one of Five Second Frenzy. Oh, shit. Your favorite female body part. You're going to check out a woman. What is your? What will your eyes go to first? Again, I'm an equal opportunist. I like all of them. I like all of them put together well and nicely. But if I had to limit it to one, it would be like the ass and legs. Eh, no tits. All right. that's They're, they're fun to have. But, you know, all sides are nice, but the legs and ass, that's what I like the best. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. I love that answer. And the last one, Jim, your favorite curse word? Fuck. <laughs> it's usually the number one answer on the show. If this were family food, that would be the number one answer. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> so Jungle Jim still. There's a comedian, I think, that. Have you seen that? Where it's either fuck or shit. But where he goes through and how he, he describes how the word in is an adjective, is a noun, is an adverb, and he goes yeah. through the whole thing. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, you can use in every instance in life. It's perfect. Yeah. You, uh, you you stub your toe on the table, you go, fuck. You see a nice ass and pair of legs, you go, fuck. Uh. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Jungle Jim Steel, I just want to thank you so much for your time on the show here today. I really wanted to get the ultimate Jungle Jim Steel interview, and I feel like I accomplished that. And what I want to say is, you know, you should be so proud of what you accomplished in the wrestling business. Yes, you were green in WCW, but you got out of that and you went to all Japan basically for 10 years and you also made a hell of a name yourself in puerto rico and what you're doing today also you should be so proud of you know you're helping people every single day so i just want you to to know that i appreciate you and you should be proud of everything that you've accomplished in your life my friend absolutely thank you very much another couple of fun facts with i which i just thought of just now as you were saying this you know, I made a few, I was in a few movies as well. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. No, I wasn't uh, aware. Okay, so uh, one movie, uh, actually Rob Van Dam turned me on to this, was a while ago up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and the movie was called Super Fighters. Super, super Fights or Super Fighters? Right. Uh, uh, just a uh, B-rated version. It's like a Karate Kid type of movie. Okay. But you can actually find that, I believe, on YouTube. It's, it, but it came out directly just to just a uh, cable. Just right. And then we did. Uh, me and Bart did one in uh, Korea that was uh, about Ricky Dozon. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, and Mike and I played. Uh, back in the back in the day, when the uh, I guess Ricky Dozon brought a wrestling to um, to Japan. I'm trying to think. Oh, the Sharp Brothers. Me and Mike played the Sharp Brothers. Okay. Um, and then there was just a couple. Those two are the ones that I had kind of starring role. I guess. I mean, even though it was small, 
but they were kind of like, you know, starring roles, I guess. And then um, there's been just a couple other ones that are just like, I can't even remember the name of them, but yeah, that was a fun part too. Awesome. Well, the, like if that one movie's on YouTube, in the description there, everyone on YouTube, if you're watching, you'll be able to find that link right there. We'll, we'll get that out there so that everyone can check it out. Um, but again, Jim, thank you so much. What a fun conversation this has been. Really appreciate your time, sir. Hey, thank you very much. I know it's got to be pretty late over there. Got to be going into your bedtime, maybe your past. Um, but hey, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, sir. And thank you, everyone out there, for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, Californian Fury, with the one and only Jungle Jim Steele, and we will see you all next time. Thank you. <laughs>